Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. And it's my pleasure to introduce Lawrence from Soul Farm. Now we did record this back in April or May time, so if we're moaning about the weather too much, that's why. It has changed. Now we're releasing this in July. Right, welcome to the podcast, Lawrence. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. What, how's your day been on the farm today? What have you been up to? Day, day's been good. We've had a volunteer day today, so lots of people on the farm. Yeah, we've got a good a good team of people now. And um, actually, I wasn't too too involved in the volunteer day. I had to dip out for a couple of conference calls and stuff which was a bit boring but yeah we had lots of people doing some hoeing and and getting some uh transplanting some cucumbers and things like that um i managed to sort a bit of irrigation work it's a good day had a bit of rain which was nice as well so yeah it's, fi- it's finally turned up now isn't it the rain oh it's yeah. just we we've been moaning on the last three podcasts saying how it's like warm days, uh, frosty nights, and then it's just been dry as a bone. But now it's it, it's just started to pick up. I've been like thanking the rain gods lately. It's, it's saving me so much time in my day. So were the guys in the polytunnel today, in the caterpillar tunnels, doing their cucumbers? Or uh, No, we've got like a li- nice little seed sowing, uh, or like sort of transplanting kind of space outside so we can keep everybody socially distanced. Mm. Um, Although I've just been jabbed, so I'm um, feeling a little bit more brave, I suppose. Yeah, it just rained a little bit, so most it didn't stop us really working and being outdoors. Um, could have done with a bit more, actually. But yeah, the, the, the wind and the cold and the... Yeah. Just a nightmare. It shouldn't be happening, <laughs> should it? It just either. literally, I'm kind of glad because I'm in, uh, well, a, a, a cabin that looks like a wood cabin, but it's essentially a static caravan and we haven't done the roof yet. Um, and just before this podcast, okay. the hour before, it was quite heavy hail. So I can't, yeah. the telly doesn't oh, turn wow. up loud enough to cover the noise of hail. So I'm really glad it stopped just before we came on the call. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have heard a thing I'm saying. Oh, so, yeah, it's been a strange April. Hail in May. Yeah, and I keep forgetting it's not April still. I keep going, oh, this April's awful. And it's like, mm. no, it's May and it's still awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've just been talking a little bit about the farm, but you, you work on Soul Farm. So do you mind telling us a little bit about um, about your project and what you do? Yeah, so um, Soul Farm is uh, based down in Cornwall. We're in, in a little village called Flushing, which is just opposite Falmouth, which is... Um, actually they've got the biggest population in cornwall it's bigger than our capital city um Truro. um yeah it's a beautiful location we've got um we're lucky enough to to be in a in a walled garden which um has its pluses and minuses but mostly it's it's a very beautiful kind of space it's about an acre and a half um the downside is actually getting lorries and compost in um, close enough to our beds is, is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, so we've got an acre and a half there, which includes a glass house, and we've got a couple of caterpillar tunnels there. And then we've got another acre and a half, a couple of minutes drive away. Along with that, we've got a, a barn there, which we are starting to use as our cold store and our 
um, packing and cleaning and um, yeah, pick and pack shed really. And then, and you run essentially a, a CSA. Yeah. So well, actually, I mean, cycling back a bit, I suppose. Um, we started off really wanting to focus on restaurants um, with our sort of big restaurant scene here in Cornwall. And there weren't really any local farms sort of supplying those restaurants. There was just sort of big wholesalers. So we started doing that with a little bit of a CSA on the side. Um, and, you know, that was that was doing quite well. And that's what we wanted to be. Pandemic happened and, and we, we pivoted, expanded our CSA last year um, quite substantially. Um, expanded again this year to i think we're sort of hovering around 90 95 boxes um which we're going to start in a couple of weeks 20 about 24 24 of that is um solidarity which is some people are benefiting from free boxes um uh which are which are funded through the csa and i can go into that in more detail um uh, and then some of those as well are low income um, so they pay they pay less. We also have co-founded a, a farmers market, um, and and that's been sort of critical as well um, during the last sort of six months. Yeah, that looks awesome. Your farmers market. That's is it. it seems to be like such a good way for you guys to promote what you're doing as well. Yeah, uh, and it's just been cool to watch, like on Instagram especially. It looks like a really good hub. Is that got good, some good footfall? Is it just one of those places you need to know where it is to? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, Flush, Flushing is this tiny little village. I mean, it, it doesn't. I, I'm not sure where people are coming from, but you know, there is. It's fairly densely populated, Cornwall. I mean, there's just houses everywhere, um, and yeah. sort of word gets around, got around quite quickly. Um, you know, people are coming in from Falmouth and, you know, the local villages. Um, and yeah, like last week, we sort of had over 500 people coming through. We sold out within an hour, which was fairly busy. Um, and I think it was just good timing. We've got good parking, good good producers, um, nice vibe, great views. It's just a kind of a good good kind of recipe and it's just sort of yeah. what was needed yeah what we was romanticizing about cornwall before the podcast just like me and chris both admitted it's like one of our favorite places in the world like uh i i lived there for only two months coming back from australia and it was just a great i just absolutely love the place i think is um and we just wanted to ask you do you think like these positives of you being down in cornwall like you mentioned the uh, the good food but it's, it's known like a lot of tourism as well good food good restaurants has that played any part do you think and do you think it will play a part now you've got the um uh, farmer's market and there's going to be potential of tourism i'll be very interested to see how tourism affects the farmer's market and and what, what happens there because um, because it's on a saturday which sort of change over day people are actually sort of arriving on a Saturday or they're leaving on a Saturday. So it might be a bit of a strange day for them actually in terms of picking up their, and, and they're not necessarily going to pick up veg for the week. They're probably just going to come and they might come and buy a, a bag of salad, I suppose, or a bunch of asparagus and, and, and a bag of mussels. They're not going to, you know, you know, spend, spend a whole week's worth of, of, of veg. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but certainly like, yeah, now, now that we're layering this up with with the kind of restaurant trade as well, 
the stuff that we're sort of supplying them. Uh, you know, we're mainly concentrating on salad um, for the restaurants because everything else is going to the boxes or, or going to the market. But yeah, Corn- Cornwall, everybody seems to want to be in Cornwall. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just nuts, the housing scene and just everybody wanting to move, move down, I suppose, move out of the cities and come to the countryside. I'm down there next week, mate, for a couple, uh, like a just a birthday present from my girlfriend. To so I, I'm praying for like no rain, but <laughs> yeah, uh, got the opposite. Uh, yeah, at least you get some, mate, when I'm down there. But um, yeah, yeah, again, we just uh, I love it down there, and I think you're in a nice hot spot of the country. To be fair, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah no, no, I, th- I think I mean. We're, we're very focused on the idea of you've got the tourists and you've got people coming down from London and moving into Cornwall with money. Um, and so that, so, so that is good um, from a business point of view, but, you know, we are very focused on this idea of feeding everybody. Um, yeah. And um, we're, our mission and our values are very much based on, Yes, we do know dig. Yes, we try and do everything environmentally as possible. Um, we may at some point become organic. That's that's all great, um, but it's not what drives us. What what drives us is bringing all of that good stuff um, to everybody and trying to reach as many people as we can, um, and trying to sort of educate as well. And so, we're just very aware that. You know, as you drive into Falmouth, you're looking at the nice palm trees on the roundabout and all the boats and everything like that. But you're actually passing some of the, you know, poorest um, estates um, in Cornwall, um, if not in the UK. And we we just need to um, make sure that we are um, being being aware that they, ha- you know, it's food sovereignty. Everybody has the right to good food um, mm. and, and good health. And, you know, that's that's really what drives us. Yeah, I love that using that. You know, yeah, it's in a way redistributing wealth in a way, isn't it? If you can take that and leverage yeah. it to 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 help with with, yeah, the less less fortunate and, and those solidarity boxes, all fantastic schemes. I absolutely adore that. And, and, it, and it literally is re, re, redistributing wealth because um, we offer a sliding scale um, on our CSA. So so people can choose can you know can say okay well i i have wealth um and if they go for the upper two income brackets um then they are helping fund those those lower um income um, brackets so yeah it has helped um you know fund um 24 of of the boxes being solidarity yeah i mean just to just to be clear on what that means is um you know we don't like to use i'm sort of a bit over that charity is is not the right word for this and i don't know whether charity is the right word at all um for anything these days and 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 we don't see these as handouts um you know we see this them as being um, members you know we want to get them down we want to ask them for rep i'm not going to say this word reciprocity um uh, you know, if they can, um, they can come and help. Um, there's a there's a Syrian family which 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 we um, give our box to, and um, we sell her baklava on our store. 
that she, that she makes. Oh, mate, yeah. that's a yeah, that's brilliant. That yeah. kind of barter system is great. Well, like the trade, what one for a, something like you're good at, and then I'll give you something I'm good at. I, I, I'm really into that. I think that's amazing. I love that. Just to touch on, this isn't your background, is it? This isn't what you started doing in life, essentially. You have very different backgrounds right. to bef- before Soul Farm started. Yeah, so Soul, Soul Farm started um, in 2018 um, in terms of the land, um, although, you know, it'd been powering away since way before then in terms of kind of research and, and kind of learning. Um, I was a graphic designer slash sort of art director. I say graphic designer normally because not many people really know what an art director (laughs) is um but yeah so i having done like geography degree you know studied um uh, creative advertising um down in falmouth actually um and then sort of went on the sort of london um gravy train of trying to get um jobs in advertising agencies um actually ended up in in a small little business down um near brighton in lewis oh, um, up the road um yeah just <laughs> a, um, i think yeah, yeah. Near you. um and um yeah sort of jumped around various different agencies doing various different things but <laughs> the majority of my career was work was working for like what they call fmcg companies so that's your procter and gambles your coca-colas unilevers fast-moving consumer goods although i had i had it was it was fine working for i worked for a toothpaste company um but the sort of fizzy drink companies and and some of the those other ones just left me feeling cold really as as it would anybody probably listening to this uh, podcast and um just just knew that this wasn't what I wanted to do and and also felt really felt a strong sense that I was winging it most of the time and just yeah just it didn't feel settled and didn't feel like this was a real kind of passion um those those outlets yeah. have have helped you in your pivot into into well essentially market gardening haven't they I can see I can see elements of what your old life in in your business i'm I'm sure yeah it's definitely definitely helped i I definitely see myself as an entrepreneur you know that's sort of what i wanted to be be anyway um uh, i definitely recommend anybody that um is you know looking to go down a kind of different path or, or you know change kind of career to write a manifesto especially if you're not sure exactly what it is that you want one to do um because i actually ended up writing two manifestos for two kind of completely different streams that i could have gone into <laughs> one of which was this and uh, and the other one was you know very different um and um yeah really interesting kind of process i think it's definitely helped create a brand um you know very quickly feel comfortable with you know the social medias and things like that um and you know I definitely, you know, it's, it's really worthwhile creating a good brand. Um, and it, I'm just thankful I didn't have to put too much money into it. <laughs> yeah, it can be costly. I know it's something that people are afraid of. and But you have a, a really strong brand and we've seen, obviously, those skills come out and you've had some new 
boxes designed which look absolutely fantastic so we can see those skills coming across yeah. and, and coming across really well can we can we press you for what the other manifesto was or is that under lock and key <laughs> <laughs> yeah we um we were trying to it was more like outdoorsy it was sort of we, we came up with this brand it was me and a couple of friends called outcraft it was kind of like a e-commerce site i suppose where it, it had a sort of like a social aim uh, and i'm trying to remember exactly how it worked but you basically bought stuff in order to sort of fund charity do you think you picked the right one <laughs> yeah. yeah i think so i think i think i think it's a more important thing for me um i think it's i think it's really important to get people outdoors i think it's really important you know for people to have ex exercise i think it's really important to pe for people to have nature connection and, and i think that's something that really drove me um i actually had a blog called chasing wilderness which i've taken down now but um it was all about that it was it was about um trying to get people connected to nature and that is like a gateway drug i think towards other things and you know once you are connected yourself to nature then you might start thinking more about how other people are connected to nature and how nature is being affected by the things that you do um so it was a really important thing to do but for for me it would have spent a lot of time just being in front of a computer and just just being a sh an online shop i think we've all got that same uh same thought same process same passion for the outdoors and nature because we've all gone from different jobs but it, it i feel like it, that's where you see the most truth in everything and uh like when i'm outdoors seeing everything around me just happen because either like we're fixing natural ecosystems see seeing things come back to life i just think it's it's just great it's just great work and going back to the farm like we're we talk about like no dig and regenerative models but someone that has influenced me and i know that's influenced you just by visiting your farm lawrence he's uh jm fortier and oh it just was so stamped of the jm mark when i went to your farm like just yeah, i really was so impressed how you've jumped so quickly from it in your growing journey it's really really cool to watch um i know you're on the JM course. Can you talk to us about that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I mean, very early on, I knew that I needed to do some training and education and, and working full time and things like that. I knew that I couldn't couldn't do the thing of going to go and spend lots of time working on other people's farms. Um, mm. And we did explore woofing um, and we, we went woofing and that was the start, really. We went woofing in Cornwall at the time we were li living in Bristol. Yeah, so we went woofing actually on a on a small little um, micro farm, I suppose, and, and they and we went lambing. Um, only got a lamb on the last day, but um, it was a good experience anyway. And loved, you know, raging around on a on a quad bike and, and just just being on a farm generally. But with a small family at the time, the youngest was just born. Um, we re quickly realised that woofing. It basically would have been me doing double hours to try and make up for the fact that Adele couldn't do, you know, the hours that she was supposed to do. You, you know, you're supposed to, they sort of guidelines are sort of six hours each, you know, to pay for your food and accommodation. So I would have had to have 
logged it out and yeah i mean so that wasn't going to work and i couldn't we couldn't afford to go with a small family going you know intern so i had to turn to the online really um and so after you know exploring things and you know really liking jm's book um went went for his course and and you know really really kind of enjoyed it and it wasn't the only course i did i I did a few kind of other courses. Um, so JM's course is very much focused on like practicalities of how to grow and, and like crop crop management. And it's also important to balance that with kind of business side of things and um, and, and sort of other sides of, of, of running a business. So all of that sort of happened sort of at the same time. Yeah, I, I'm on it now and uh, just straight away after just going like 10% into the course, I realized the money you pay for the course, you're going to make back from the knowledge you're gaining. Just simple stuff from just crop planning to how they do certain vegetables to maximize production. But what I like about the Americans, it's, it is a little bit more production business focused where I think a lot of other maybe YouTubers or other ones selling courses, it's more like the, the beauty of growing i just i kind of like how the americans merge it into like oh this is how you make this passion into a business that's what i like yeah. that's what i like about it yeah i mean i remember somebody back in the day had done a sort of tour whiffing tour of america and and noticed that you know the difference between the american model and, and the british model is that um they are very business orientated it's all about making money most of those most of them would be limited companies, whereas, you know, the majority of the British um, things are, you know, rely on funding. And um, you know, a lot of farms are sort of community ent enterprises, which which is brilliant. Actually, we, we are a CIC, um, community interest company, and that has opened up our doors to sort of funding. Um, but we really don't want to rely on it you know, I want it to be like some of these American farms and actually make money. I think that's such mm. an important message to, to send out because there is money to be made in this. There's a there seems to be a stigma across the UK that you can't can't be a rich farmer. Um, or unless you inherit your land, I guess, or inherit your, your stuff. But the, the people that essentially work the land are, are typically very poor or struggle to make a living. And it, I don't believe it's the case. And I think it's an important message to send out there that um, that there's there's good work to be done, but there's also good money to be made in it. Yeah, um, I mean, certainly a living. I think we we're, we're talking sort of offline about this. That, that I think there's a lot of other things as well within the kind of industry uh, and ways of making money, um, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the compost side of things or the tools and, um, the, you know, the whole movement towards, you know, local good food. I mean, for instance, we've, I mentioned before about our farmer's market and in America, you've got professional farmer's market managers, you know, mm. people that are very good at running farmer's markets and, our farming farmer market kind of um culture in the uk is is um is really weird it's just sort of not there and you know i've had a couple of comments at our farmer's market sort of saying oh this is you know this is very french you know this is how the sort of french kind of do it and it's not that i really know what that means but 
it's sort of interesting that that's their sort of reference that we're, we're doing things in a sort of slightly un-British way. And, and I think I think we we need to fix that and radically change our kind of food system in, in all spheres. There seems to be a lot of plugs to be filled in this in, in this industry. So that's why like we're inspired to do the podcast because hopefully we talk to someone or get that message in their head. It's like there's, there's, um, there's opportunity for this, there's opportunity for that. As you said, Lawrence, as we said offline, tools, compost, we were saying like uh, seed producers, um, as you just said, farmer's market like manager we need these people to like just come out honestly come out of nowhere to i've got my first far, farmer's market in two weeks time after like my third season oh, there's cool. been nothing around here um is it a new one is it? yeah brand new one it's it's one of the places i supply and they've got like quite a big um kind of front car park and they've just said right we're gonna turn this into an eco farmer's market get like the sourdough guy that um is in the shop he he's coming out um there's going to be people that sell records there's like just cool just cool things like you so you can go there one-stop shop you get your your veg you get your bread yeah. maybe you get some like um essential oils whatever um yeah <laughs> get a bit of yoga get a good coffee what it so i think it's just creating a community that is kind of especially i feel like where i live it's lost there's not too much community like people are wanting community but but you need hubs uh, and that place is a hub and it, and it will become bigger it's church well. mate it's the new church you know mm. it's the community hub it's the thing that people go to once a week and and see their yeah. mates and hang out and chinwag and you know Definitely. like it's yeah it's it's really important stuff and you know and that's how you that's how you introduce people to new food as well because you know i'm constantly seeing people get tagging their mates saying oh should we go along to this just found this thing and and they meet new friends and then they're introducing them to new foods yeah we've been really inspired by you setting up those, that market there's a fantastic market in brighton called flow road market florence road i think it's why it's named that oh, but yeah. um yeah, yeah. It, yeah it seems that it seems to have its own sort of following they have obviously pre pre-covid tables running down the middle of the street they hand out blankets and hot chocolates if it's cold there's always a live music act and it just feels yeah yeah people do say this is very french and there's something probably ingrained <laughs> yeah. that's a little bit wrong with that in that that we we don't have more of those and i know my experience of doing farmers markets when we were testing our theory before we moved on to this land was that you would have a set day for a farmer's market or sometimes it was a market in a village hall or something or if you're in a town hall you know just around the corner in the middle of the high street is one of those sort of middle of high street markets where there's a pound your bananas pound your bananas market and and an organic yeah. grower in a town hall i didn't really have a chance because the yeah all of his imported veg was was absolute the cheapest thing going cheaper than than a supermarket so yeah. yeah there's something that there definitely needs to shift there and i think we may be on the cusp of it yeah. just more of them i suppose yeah and i think something that that we're sort of on the cusp of in this country we've talked a lot about the states and canada and, and even parts of europe but something we're on the cusp of seeing is is a, is a huge increase in small-scale farming in this country yeah, I know we all three of us here sort of consider ourselves small scale farmers. Did you, did you sort of, was that something that you had thought about when you were going into this? Is that something that's important to you? I was lucky enough to sort of spend a bit of time 
with um, Charles Dowding when I was first kind of starting out and, um, you know, seeing his kind of small, small space and, and the sort of revenue that he was ge- generating off that and linking that. And I sort of see, you know, in one hand Dowding and then the other hand sort of JM and both of those kind of small, small scale, um, not particularly interested in kind of machines. Well, should I say, not particularly interesting in, in repairing machines. <laughs> Quite enjoy sitting on a digger the other day, <laughs> moving some mm-hmm. compost, but I don't want to repair those kind of machines and I certainly don't want to plow up fields. You know, and when you start thinking about the economics of the, of a tractor, it sort of slightly blows your mind because when you start to think about a tractor going kind of down a field and the sort of size of the field you need, and the sort of footprint of the tyre, meaning then you need a slightly bigger field again in order to sort of get that kind of crop in. And then, you know, you need to fill that field in order to sort of make that money. And then you need to find a mark and and then you've got this enormous crop of this one thing and then you have to find a market for that one thing. And so that market is not going to be local. So you've got a lorry coming down the road all of this is splattering out CO2. Um, and so it just sort of, all these things kind of stack up really. So yeah, it was just really important to me, I think that that we kept it small. But uh, yeah, I don't want to be too critical of like big farmers because I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a place for it. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. There is a place for it because otherwise we're in a pickle, like a pickle otherwise to a, to a degree. Um, but that it's just a way that it's just been um, marketed in a way like they called it the green revolution in America when they w- went back to the land and w- was having an abundance before. I think it was before the uh, Dust Bowl and they called it. The, I don't know whether it was called the green revolution here or America. I can't remember, but they they said it was great because they were getting big yields and lots of food. And, but then we just ultimately find out the environmental impact of it. Yeah, I don't know what the sort of perfect kind of model is. And I think it's probably a bit of both of, you know, some big scale um, mixed with quite a lot of small scale. Yeah, so, so go, going back to the, the farm, Lawrence, as well, um, mm. no dig farming. And you mentioned, Charles, that like anyone that does knows no dig knows Charles straight away. Um did he help your decision? Was it always that, obviously mixing a few other uh, growers as well, but did no-till seem like the way forward for you to start a soul farm? I think he actually tried to put me off <laughs> 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 going into it. Um, but he, he was fantastic. I, I spent you know a number of days picking salad with him and, and, and helping him out. And uh, we, we, you know, he, he was really nice talking about like um everything from the sort of the industry to 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 sort of diving into all my turmoil around selling fizzy drinks you know it was definitely definitely very clear to me that that was the way forward in terms of the, the production kind of method and trying to figure out a way of doing that on scale has been a challenge we've now got pretty much every bed now on a deep compost system in our um walled garden so we've got four four main blocks which are 20 meters 
and each of those has 20 75 centimeter beds um so that's for in terms of area it's um it's about 20 by 25 meters so four of those so there's, there's a lot of compost and and that has been a challenge and a lot of work um to get it to that kind of stage but yeah we've we've got we've got quite a good system now where we spend a year growing through landscape fabric and we almost grow straight into grass through the landscape fabric we might give it a bit of a, a sort of a board fork um and and then after a year we then compost it so we might grow squash or something just straight into clay and it doesn't need to be loose it doesn't you know it finds its way through the clay it it, it may be quite solid ground underneath there and there will be some weeds coming in through the holes but it tends to be fine and then that cleans up the soil in terms of the perennial weeds sort of annual weeds i mean and then and then we may have to dig out some of the perennial weeds and then and then we'll do a, like a, a lighter mulch so we're looking at sort of two inches rather than the sort of deep three inches that you'd need if you went straight down onto grass I found that interesting, Lawrence, going to your farm. Um, it just shows other growers as well that you don't necessarily need to pay hundreds, if not thousands, on compost and stuff like that. You could just whack out, uh, burn some holes in a, in a... It's effectively a tarp, isn't it, in a way? Uh, like a porous tarp um, with a weed, weed fabric. And you had rows of kale, rows of squash. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're... It's, it's good to know that it's good to know you can go straight in the clay uh, and then that that's kind of doing two jobs in one it's growing food as well as suppressing uh weeds so when you peel that back fingers crossed you can it, it's just going to create a lot of time saving by um it's kind of semi-mulching then you just take out a perennial weeds as well yeah but i wouldn't grow anything with any like i wouldn't do anything through those tarps with anything that is um or landscape fabric through that is the tight spacing. So the 45 centimeters um, spacing between kales is, is the smallest we'll go um, for that. Um, just because there's, you know, you, you have as much, many holes as fabric if you if you went any smaller than that. So well, It fills me with confidence what you've just said because we've actually just opened, well, not really opened up, but tarped down a block that we're essentially going to cover in squash and, and with that exact same method, method. So it really hasn't been treated. It was grass. Um, I actually did have a, a winter green manure on it, a vetch and rye, but covering that, terminating it and going straight in that, so using a bit of space but not having to be able to afford the compost and, and to be able to cultivate it yet so yeah i'm glad that's worked because it's made my decision yeah. feel a bit better <laughs> so i want to roll back the clock a little bit because we're a couple of years into to soil farm now but i want to roll back to you um you ran quite a successful crowdfunding campaign a few years back so yeah. i'm asking your memory to to do some work here but what what was that for like how much did you raise and how much did that compare to your targets yeah i mean we we knew we needed to raise money um and we had a few things on our sort of list that we needed we needed to buy we we'd, we'd put a bit of our own money in, in into into starting starting the farm and that had bought us one caterpillar tunnel and you know that had bought us a range of tools but but we wanted another caterpillar tunnel wanted to buy more compost that sort of thing and i think we were aiming for i think if i in my head head i sort of had sort of five or six grands that sort of wanted 
ideally to get. Um, and we ended up getting £8,163. It did, it did reasonably well. It's an interesting phase of the farm because like each, each year we've had another bit of investment and we've been constantly investing. And so there was that investment in, in, at that time. And then since then, we've, we've partnered up with um, uh, Leap, which is part of the Real Farming Trust. And, and we've got another bit of investment this year. And, and so we've been constantly um, you know, getting those kind of little kind of inputs in order to sort of um, scale up. The timing of it was interesting because it sort of bridged kind of Christmas. On one hand, it was sort of good because, you know, some people, it's a traditional time for people to think about their kind of charity giving. Um, on, on, but on the other hand, some, sometimes, um, you know, money can be tight at that time of year. So I think timing is, is quite important for, for, for when you want to run one of those kind of campaigns. And I just, even though I was told I was not prepared <laughs> for the amount of work that you have to put into it, it really is a, a big push that you have to do. Uh, another thing with your crowdfunder, Lawrence, is I remember like as you, as you were marketing it, we had a really big storm as well. And yeah. your your greenhouse just went, didn't it? It yeah. just, it blew. Did, did the wall blow down as well? Or was it the, no. it just, it collapsed, didn't it? The so, greenhouse. So that was the year, like this winter compared to that last winter has been wet, but we haven't had those kind of named storms like we did that year. And um, we'd had a number, This was, I think this was the first, that was the first big named storm. And I can't remember the name. Was it Cara? Cara? Was that the one? Could have been. It was I'd, last I'd year. It's etched into mine for the same reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was a brutal. It, in fact, it, it wasn't. It wasn't last year. It was, it was the year before okay. that. So. Yeah, the same it was one. 2019. Yeah. 2019. So it was one of the f- first storms, and and we just I got a picture message come through onto my phone from 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 the landowner, and the caterpillar tunnel was just in pieces, just all like knotted up, and 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 then I sort of saw oh, in the wow. background of the photo, I was like, shit, and and like. <laughs> I just sort of looked and the whole greenhouse had basically picked up, lifted off the wall and flown um, two or three metres away. Wow. Um, and the wind had got in underneath. Bricks had jiggled loose. Wind had got underneath it and it just picked it up like a sail. And uh, what, what I should say about it is that it, it had just been skinned in polyplastic. Um, it wasn't weighed down by glass and we we just... It, as an old greenhouse and we just covered it in plastic because you know it's cheaper yeah. <laughs> and we thought it would work but it didn't um, but it kind of it seemed like it added um like a, without you even <laughs> needing it like needing for it to happen it added like a sub story did, to yeah. the crowdfunder that i, I feel like it accelerated your crowdfunder because people are like oh shit like it kind of it got more people looking at your page like wow man i'm so sorry that's happened but it, it probably made people more generous to give back and help you out because they're seeing the real struggles of farming not i think a lot of our followers aren't farmers or, or like just maybe customers and they're seeing the struggles and be like man i need to i feel like they're more that they want to help out they see where their food grows from and then they go like, they're 
they'll give you uh, that investment back. And I think without you meaning to do that, it's just how things work sometimes. And it, and it really pushed it on and in a, in a positive way. It really did create a sub story. Yeah. And I, I haven't actually looked at what point in time and where we were at the time. I feel like we were sort of at about 6,000 pounds. And so it would have, co- and, and uh, I know for sure I walked into the wall garden I took a video of what was going on just like as a, as, almost as like a therapy session yeah. myself and, uh, and looking at all this sort of stuff. And then right, I'm coming home, looked at my phone and cause I posted it, done a, done a bit of tidying up or something and then looked at my phone and somebody had done a thousand pound donation. Wow. And it took me yeah. to walk to my car and, um, yeah so i mean instantly that 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 donation came in and then you know i think there would be more so you know anybody looking to set up a crowdfunder just find a natural disaster you know (laughs) (laughs) that that kind of segues into the next question because like we was going to say like do you believe that crowdfunders could be important for small-scale growers like getting getting into it uh, i know sometimes you need a a good need a need a backstory don't you because you're not just going to go in it blindly and then give someone money that you think um but but it i think it's a, an access point as well to be like we're doing this and maybe the community can back it through the crowdfunder I, um i think i yeah. think the community side of it is strong um i think it's really a good way of engaging the community and, and getting it's, it's a good marketing tool it gets you on the radio you know it gets you um gets you a bit of press and things like that um i would say that that i think we ended up timing ours quite quite well and i wouldn't time it i wouldn't think about it in terms of like how long have i been going for um i think we i can't i think we'd been going for at least a year um but i would really look at it in terms of like your instagram and facebook kind of numbers and your email newsletter list because you do not want to start it without having that kind of having already a good audience um you know you need to start your project um with just like kind of natural and social capital that you've already got um and you know um friends and family and and you know build your audience so that so that when you do your crowdfunding you're not wasting your time and it's really it's really important that you, you time it right so i would not do it from the outset and they're, they're all really good tips there and i think there's there's some important lessons in that you certainly do need an audience or, or someone who's willing to listen because you're not just asking for their attention you're asking for their money so if you haven't got their attention already you're asking for attention and money and that's that's a really difficult thing to do early on i think we were five months in um but what our timing was was similarly lucky to yours. It was Storm Cara, like two weeks before, yeah. and it made us yeah. We had a sub story video of a a seventeen foot metal yeah. garage and two greenhouses going flying. So um, yeah. yeah, maybe the top tip of of asking for a natural disaster isn't a bad one. I don't know. Well, I mean, it is a good it's a, it's a good idea doing it during winter. Mm. <laughs> you know, from the point of view of 
there's you know less work to do anyway you know in the farm i think that's an important point you made there as well is the time and and i was the same as you and i think i spoke to you when when we started ours and, and you had said it takes a lot of time but you never quite believe just how much it really does take of your time and elements of i mean we were we were doing thank you videos for each person that was was donating and then trying to get involved and, and put press releases out and speak to radio stations and and get even local tv slots and all those things and it was yeah it was like running a, a full-time marketing campaign that i used to run from my previous life which was a full-time and a half job whilst also starting a farm and running a season yeah. of veg growing so i think for people listening that think it's an option be aware that it's it's a very time consuming one but i mean yeah it, it's it's exciting mm. like there's definitely a adrenaline rush with it um it's it's a fun you know if it's going well yeah because you could also <laughs> Wonderful. Well, look, we've we've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, speaking of time, so um, we'll quickly move on to the last section, and that's that's our quick fire questions. So we, we're sort of yeah. putting together these questions now. We're figuring out. We want a set that will be asked to everyone, um, but we're still playing around with those. So we've got a set of questions that we want to okay. fire at you, um, and they start with um, your favourite tool on the farm. I, I yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think whether to be sort of kind of clever with it but i do i do just really like my my swing hoe um my oscillating hoe which i got years ago and it's a it's a one from implementations and it's it's brass and it's just a thing of beauty and just works so well um so i really like my swing hoe is there any veg everybody likes but you hate i appreciate how a nice bunch of chard looks but i find it such a fan <laughs> to harvest yep. and because i want the bunch to be nice and i want our method is that we try and have swiss chard in the middle which is the white stemmed one and then surrounded by colored leaves and bunched together nicely and and then we lop off the bottom so it's all even at the bottom and that looks lovely it looks like a bunch of flowers but what a fact yeah. <laughs> <laughs> agree more with the same I, t I think that's the thing that takes me the longest because yeah you are you're trying you're almost flower arranging so you're going up and you've right i've got one two pink ones and then i'm trying to find a, a different color and another color and yeah it, it's an absolute <laughs> yeah. nightmare um is there a crop that you grow that doesn't make you much money but you do it anyway no <laughs> um yeah no i, I mean we we r really try and maximize our space and um and i mean we 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 have we have grown we we have grown squash and i don't think that makes us loads of money and and but mainly we're doing that because that is um you know we're trying to make some produce out of a bit of land which would otherwise just be under tarp it serves serves a purpose so so that would answer your question is is probably squash knows a good answer as well because if that's the case you've got a very profitable farm so either way you've got a good answer there what, what would you say is your favorite farm hack getting enough sleep <laughs> um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um knee pads oh that's a good one wear knee pads <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think it's they, both those things are sort of related to looking after yourself. 
Yeah, I think it's, so, it's an important message, though, isn't it? I think so many of us, well, certainly my case, and, and you spoke about it as well, wanting to do this because for many reasons, but one of them not being at a computer all day. And that's part of looking after mm-hmm. ourselves, looking after our backs and, and all those things. And then we go out do get farming get outside which is good for us in a way but then don't take care of our backs or our knees or anything um yeah. and quickly find yeah. ourselves in pain um so we're on to our last quick fire question it's one we ask everyone do you prefer a walk around the farm with a morning tea or an end of day beer um probably the the never done the last one because i'm normally having to be home and uh getting supper on and feeding my kids and reading them stories so i would love to do the um <laughs> walking around the farm with a beer but um it normally ends up being the the former walking around with a coffee love it Lawrence, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been great to chat to you. If people want to find out about more about you and Soul Farm, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to um, soulfarm.co.uk or on Instagram at soul.farm. Uh, or, yeah, we're on Facebook as well. Just search for us. Wicked, Lawrence. Thank you very much. Thanks, Cheers guys. It's been on, a pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.